this morning I want to talk about scandals, because we love a good scandal, don't we? Uh, the media loves scandals, they love getting their hands on a good scandal, and if you're a fan of scandals, especially in politics, 2018 was a good year, wasn't it? Uh, think back to Barnaby Joyce, I mean that went on for ages, didn't it? Uh, and since then there have been two other Australia, Australian politicians, not quite as famous, who've had to leave politics because of the same kind of scandal with, uh, yeah, there are kids here, you know, compromising relational situations, things like that. And the reason the media get hold of scandals is because the public lap them up, don't they? We love scandals. That's why, that's why we watch reality TV. People watch looking for a scandal. That's why you'll never see a reality TV program called 30 Years Happily Married with Well-Balanced Kids. You know, people want a scandal. That's what they're looking for. But some scandals go too far. Some scandals cross the line. Uh, think the scandal of children in offshore detention centres. Or think the scandal of Christmas. Hang on, you might say, what, Stephen, what's the scandal of Christmas? Well, the first Christmas was actually pretty scandalous. Remember how it started? A teenage girl called Mary engaged and pregnant. That got the tongues wagging, didn't it? Even if it turned out that the accusations were fake news, but still, it was scandalous. But that was nothing compared to the biggest, most outrageous, most shocking scandal of Christmas. The biggest scandal of Christmas is that around 2,000 years ago, God became I want to spend a few moments thinking of just that last verse that we heard that's on your sheets from John chapter 1 verse 14. Do you remember how it started? It started, the word became flesh. Now, now this word that John is talking about, uh, if you are part of this church, a couple of weeks ago we saw how John introduced the Word, uh, the Word of God at the start of the chapter. So, so the Word or the Word of God here is John's way of talking about the second person of the Godhead or the Trinity. The Word of God is God's perfect self-expression who is himself God. Now, did you understand that? Okay, that's okay, because I didn't really understand it either. I, I know it, but no one can really fully understand God. Okay, so, so let's get back to the scandal of Christmas. See, the scandal of Christmas is that the eternal, divine Word of God entered our world. Now, the, the technical term that theologians use to describe this is the incarnation. Uh, it's, it's not a very common word, is it, incarnation? You don't use it every day. So what does it mean? What does it mean? Incarnation. Well, let's, uh, let's have a think. Let's analyze it. Incarnation. Oh, okay. So, so maybe it means that when God entered the world, he came as a beautiful flower. A carna- you know, incarnation. Is that... I can see some people shake, shaking yeah, their heads. No, okay. You know, actually, that, that's not it. It's, 
it's actually not nearly as sweet and beautiful and pretty as this. See, it's not incarnation. It's actually incarnation. And that carn word is like from carnivore. You know, a carnivore is something that eats meat, right? See, the incarnation is a way of saying that God became flesh. This is the scandal of Christmas. It's a scandal of flesh and blood and bone. The scandal of Christmas is that the Word, God himself, eternal, divine, all-powerful, sublime, incomprehensible, God himself took on a body of flesh and blood, like yours and man, mine, born as a baby, who grew up to be the man called Jesus. Now, why is this scandalous? Well, ask any Jew or any Muslim and they will tell you. It's shameful. It's shameful. Doesn't this humiliate God? Because flesh, flesh is so weak and, and frail. It, it's so earthly. Flesh, flesh can be so easily cut and broken and, and torn and burned and damaged and destroyed. So it sounds so offensive that the infinite word of God would become flesh. And yet, this is at the heart of everything the New Testament says about Jesus. This was the shocking truth that, that Jesus' closest followers slowly and reluctantly came to recognize and accept. That when they were looking at this man who, who lived and walked and they watched him teach and, and die and then rise from the dead, and they came to realize this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is the word of God become flesh. I do have some paper towel, which is a good thing. But it gets even more outrageous. You see, you'd think that if God becomes flesh, then he's going to lose some of his glory or all of it, isn't he? He's going to be less glorious. But listen to what John says next. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. Now, John is not saying, oh, despite the fact that the word became flesh, there, there was still a little bit of glory there. He's saying the opposite. He's saying this is where God's glory was displayed most brilliantly and clearly, more than in any, any other time in history. And this is even more amazing because through the whole history of Israel in the Old Testament, nobody could see God's glory directly. Not even Moses. We actually heard that in the first reading from Exodus. Not even Moses could see God's glory. And John says, we have. We have in this man, Jesus. Just think for a moment. If, if I were to ask you to, to look around, where, where would you look if you wanted to find a glimpse of God and a, see a glimpse of his glory, the most glorious sign of God that you could find? Would you, would you look maybe in, in a beautiful, ornate, magnificent cathedral like the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona? Uh, or would you look up at the Milky Way out in the country on a dark 
night. Well, here's the message of the New Testament and the scandal of Christmas. For a brief moment of history, there was a revelation of the glory of God that shone more brilliantly than a thousand Milky Ways. The life and times of Jesus of Nazareth. He is the ultimate perfect expression of the glory of God. And if you want to know why Jesus is the perfect expression of God and his glory, John tells us in the second half of the verse, because he tells us two things about who Jesus is. So first of all, he talks about Jesus, and he says that Jesus is the one and only son who came from the Father. Now, uh, sometimes the Bible talks about how we can be children of God, and that's an amazing and, and true fact. But Jesus is the Son of God in a way that is completely unique. He's, he's the Son who came from the Father. We can become children of God, like adopted children. Jesus is the Son from the Father. It, it's a bit like saying that Jesus inherits God's DNA. Uh, I have lots of friends who feel really close to me. Sometimes when we have close friends, they can feel like family, can't they? Uh, and in fact, as I look around, I can see lots of like really, really young people here, like, you know, people in their 20s and 30s, who one day they might come to look up to me as a sort of a, a father figure, you know, or I might just pretend they do and that'll feel just as good for me, you know. But, there are only four people in the whole world who've inherited my DNA. <laughs> One of them's cheeky. There are only four people who've inherited my DNA. And that's, that's a little bit like Jesus' eternal relationship with God the Father. He inherits God's DNA in such a complete and perfect way that he is himself God. In the fullest sense, like the perfect father-son look-alike. But it's not just about Jesus' nature as the unique son of God. It's also about his character. Uh, listen to how the verse finishes. John says, Jesus is the son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Uh, there's an amazing echo of the Old Testament in these five words. Uh, and it goes back to the same passage. See, we saw how... Moses wanted to see God's glory. Uh, God couldn't show him his glory directly, but what he did do was reveal to Moses his character, who he is. And he did that especially in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. It says, And God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness those those last five words are exactly what john says in, in slightly different language but exactly what john says see who is who is god he's the eternal lord who is abounding in love and faithfulness or in john john's words who is full of grace and truth that is full of never ending never failing overwhelming love. 
The scandal of Christmas is that the eternal, infinite word of God took on human flesh and blood and bones. The glory of Christmas is that in that man, the never-ending, never-failing love of God walked among us, became a man. But there's one more, one more question that I haven't answered, uh, which is a little bit like the elephant sitting in the corner of the room, and that is, why would God do this? Why would God show his glory in, in such an earthly, fleshly way? Why would the word become flesh? The rest of the story of Jesus in John's gospel will give us the answer. It's because God's will was that this body, this man, this person would be the one and only sacrifice that opens the door to eternal life for you and me. See, God's will was not just that the word would become flesh. His will was that that flesh, the miraculous flesh of his eternal son, would be torn and cut and stripped off by Roman whips. His will was that that real body would be broken and nailed to hang from a piece of wood. His will was that that blood which coursed through thin veins like yours and mine would drain out until the flesh hung lifeless. See, that is the way and the only way that God has opened up the door for you and I to have the chance to be forgiven completely and reconciled with him and receive his never-failing, never-ending love and receive eternal hope and eternal life. I want to finish by asking you this morning, have you really grasped who Jesus is? Have, have you glimpsed a little of his glory this morning, his glory as the word of God become flesh for us, his glory as the, the unique son from the father, full of grace and truth? And, and if so, how are you going to respond to this glorious Jesus who was broken for you and me? I think um, most of us, sort of know deep down that, that in order to know God, you need to know Jesus in some way, right? But uh, for a lot of people, that's just this intellectual thing. It's in their heads. And they go, yeah, 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 I know that. I know that. Jesus is the Son of God. And apart from that, it really makes no difference. I hope you can see that if you, if you truly recognize who Jesus is, if you truly see Jesus' glory, then the only option is to fall on your knees in wonder and amazement and awe and humility and worship. If you've seen Jesus' glory, the only option is not just to agree with some religious philosophy, it's, it's to surrender yourself, to surrender your life completely to him. Because that's the way to receive Jesus and to receive his never-ending never failing, overwhelming love forever.
So very Merry Christmas. I hope you have an excellent day today. And my hope and prayer is that this Christmas will be the one where you do surrender your life to Jesus, God's glorious word, and receive his gift of never-ending, never-failing love. God bless you. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Would you bow your heads in prayer, please? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, God in heaven, we thank you for today again. We thank you again that on this day we can particularly remember that you sent your son, Jesus, into this world. We thank you that he became a person. And we thank you that through your son, Jesus, we can see who you are, your greatness, your grace, your truth, your love, and indeed your glory. And Father, we want to give you thanks that we see that most supremely in your son, Jesus, giving his life as a sacrifice to die on the cross to take the punishment for our sins. And Father, we thank you that you raised him from the dead and that by raising him from the dead, he can now give eternal life to those who trust in him. And Father, we thank you that in the joys and the delights of the day, we might fall on our knees And remember what you have done for us in Jesus and stand or kneel in wonder and awe in worship and praise and deep gratefulness. Father, on this day we pray for our world. We pray for a world that is in so many places divided and hurting where darkness and hate reign. Father, we pray that you would bring peace to this broken world, that people might not hurt and harm one another, but be generous and kind. But Father, we pray more than anything that this world might know peace with you that comes through your son, Jesus. Father, we also thank you that today... Uh, for many is a day full of, uh, of, of happiness and joy. But Father, we also want to remember those uh, amongst us and in our community for whom today is a day of sadness. Father, may they know your comfort. May they know your peace. And Father, we pray that you might uh, bring some joy into their day today. Father, again, we want to thank you for the chance to join together to remember what Christmas meant for you, that you might send your son into this world to die for us. And so we want to give you humble and hearty thanks, and we thank you in your son's name. Amen.